Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah wassalatu wassalam ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala nawina ta'alim wa ta'alim wa tadhakka wa tadkir wa nafa' wa antifa' wa al-ifad wa al-istifad wa al-hath ala tamasuki bi kitabillah wa sunnat rasulihi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa dua ila al-huda wa dalala ala al-khair ibtigha'a wajhillahi ta'ala wa marratihi wa qurbihi wa thawabihi subhanahu wa ta'ala وما علمه الله من صالح النيات نسأل الله أن يجعلنا من العلماء العاملين الفائزين بعلم اليقين وعين اليقين ويزكنا كمال متابعة لسيد المرسلين ويفقهنا في الدين The previous session we focused mostly on the concept of companionship and we discussed the importance of selecting the very best companions that available for our children and it is important for us to also note in that same conversation unfortunately we live in a time now where now people have companionship with others from a distance through applied technology especially through the television through the internet and smartphones, iPads, things of this nature, devices. And it's a type of mujalisa, it's a type of sitting, it's a type of companionship. And again, there's a blessing in that if you use these opportunities to listen to the lectures of the righteous, to be with them in their gatherings even though that you are at a distance. But the reality is the vast majority of people use it to expose themselves oftentimes to the very worst of people. And so it's something to consider. And I don't think any one person or even group of people, as much as it's been studied, have the answers to this. It's something that is a constant source of agony for most parents to try to prevent their children from being exposed to too much uh, that of this really that uh, refuse that is out there. So um, we're going to shift gears today <coughs> and really now that the text is going to discuss more important principles that relate to pr- important principles that relate to conduct that relate to manners. And again, keep in mind, this is a very traditional way of approaching this. And I do believe we should try our best in our time as well to preserve these adab. When you hear them, at first, especially for people of our generation, it might sound a little bit like, oh, wow, that seems a little bit strict. But the reality is, even here in the United States of America, let alone in traditional Muslim cultures, most of these etiquettes were present until fairly recently. And um, I remember very clearly my grandparents from my mother's side, many of these etiquettes were expectations that they had for children and then would complain about to each other when they saw them deteriorating in their own children, let, let alone their children's children, their grandchildren. So <clears throat> we'll read the lines and inshallah ta'ala go from there. So the Nazim he says, وَيَمْنَعُهُ كَثْرَةَ الْكَلَامِ لِأَنَّهُ مِنْ عَادَةَ الْلِئَامِ And he should prevent him from excessive speech, for that is the habit of the blameworthy. أَيْضًا وَمَنْ أَنْ يَبْتَدِي خِطَابًا إِلَّا أَنْ يُكُونُ قَوْلُهُ جَوَابًا And that he does not initiate speech, rather his speech should be an answer, or you could say except that if he is responding to a question posed to him. Then forbid him from swearing oaths. Always, forever, he should avoid them. And from most poetry in singing, he should be prevented for all of time. Spitting, uh, cleaning his nose, 
or expectorating. You could just say that like cleaning, clearing his throat. Um, in the gathering or when someone enters. In cursing, abusing, or insulting people, mingling that lowly pe- mingling with lowly people. So this is roughly what we're going to cover today. And the first one is We as parents should, as we raise our children, teach them the importance of only speaking a little. And oftentimes, parents themselves fall into this problem and just blabber, blabber, blabber. And this is not a virtue far from it. As the sharh, the sharh, the commentator on this nadam that he says, everything that is mentioned about the merit of silence is also a proof that speaking too much is blameworthy. So there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, and I believe we've taken this in some, one of their previous classes, مَنْ صَمَتَ naja. Whoever is silent will be safe. They'll be saved, attain salvation. And so there is a lot of safety in silence. And as Sayyidina Ali bin Abi Talib said in a slightly different context with a slightly different meaning, but Al Maru Mahbu'un Tahta Lisanihi. A man is hidden under his tongue. And as long as you don't say something, things remain hidden. But if someone says something, it comes out. And then there are repercussions for we only to have held it back. And so this is not the way of the true people of Islam. The true people of Islam speak with intention, speak with purpose, speak with intentionality. And they have an ability to harness what it is that they say. In all of us fall short in this all the time. Especially with those in our household. We all do. And may Allah Ta'ala forgive us and bless us to put this knowledge into practice. It's not easy to learn to restrain our tongue. Especially when things get heated, especially when tempers rise, especially when we're going through other circumstances, we're tired, we're sick, whatever else, we're stressed, we're anxious, all of these different things happen, and it's, we're even more vulnerable in those moments to hurt someone with our words. And so, he's not really speaking about hurtful things with our words, per se. He's saying that we shouldn't speak a lot. And it relates to this because the more we speak, the more danger we are exposing ourselves to. We need to learn to just cut back on the things that we say. Now, this doesn't mean that we go home and we sit with our children and we just don't talk. Or we don't talk to our spouses. And they say, why aren't you talking? Because I learned that if I'm silent, I'm safe. It will lead to salvation. It does not mean that. It is a good thing to have friendly conversation and to speak to your spouse or to speak to your children and a lot of times it has to just be in normal things our Prophet ﷺ when the companions spoke about worldly things would speak about worldly things that's the way he was ﷺ. and sometimes you get a sense around certain religious people and it's not really truly being religious as long as it's not getting into an area where you start doing saying something that's uh, disliked mokru, let alone haram that's a no-go area and <clears throat> there always has to be someone responsible in the conversation that changes the topic and if someone persists letting them know we should talk about something else um, and only when it gets extreme where people just refuse except to talk about something then you might have to excuse yourself from <clears throat> that conversation from that gathering but in general what it means is especially when we're in the presence of other people. So friendly conversation, this has to happen. Speaking to our children, speaking to family members, this has to happen. This is very important. This is very healthy. Uh, My wife was reading me something yesterday about all of the benefits of a family dinner. How much benefit is in a family dinner? Benefit after benefit after benefit. That should be sent out uh, for people to benefit from. You probably already sent it out, but that should be sent out. And this is when 
socialization takes place, friendly conversation takes place, and the dinner table is one of the main places to inculcate adab, to inculcate manners. And oftentimes you will find families that are um, uh, insistent on having family dinners. There's a lot of other etiquettes that follow as a result. And these are places where we could teach our children these etiquettes in a very practical way. And so what's meant here by Ketrat al-Karam speaking too often, um, and we'll, if we take it now specifically to the context of the child, um, when they're with their friends, if they're always the one just right talking, that we should encourage them to let other people have a chance. Uh, if they're in the classroom where they're just constantly they're always the one who's answering or they're blurting things out or something like that, that's obviously uh, blameworthy. Or, as he's going to say here in the next line, speaking too much in the presence of adults. Now, I know this has changed slightly in our culture, but in general, even in American culture, it was actually deemed to be something blameworthy. As a young child, you did not speak in the presence of adults until you were spoken to. And to do so was considered to be a violation of etiquette. And both the grandparents and the parents would quickly put the child in place and they would likely uh, never do it again. And um, they used to say, and this is probably a bit extreme in American culture, uh, but they used to say is that children should not be seen or heard. Um, Now that's probably a little bit extreme. Yeah, you want to have children around and a house without children is lacking nur. Children are nur for the house and they're means for mercy to descend. And children are barakah and khair. But it just shows what the expectations were from children. Uh, the, the expectations were, yes, that on one hand, when it was time to play, they let their children play. But at other times, children were expected to sit quietly in gatherings when they reached a certain age that they could sit quietly in gatherings and learn how it is learn how to be like adults. And still to this day in traditional societies, you have these beautiful aspects of culture, and not all of them are d- directly related to deen. But for instance, like in Tarim, they would always separate young unmarried women from older married women. Another example, they would never give the mabkhara, so the nice incense, except to men. They wouldn't put perfume on young boys before the age, uh, before coming of age. These are just small examples, and there's many others. There were certain expectations that were there based upon the age. Now, the problem is, everything now is just, just completely confusing and all mixed up, where sometimes now you have to do things that were previously slightly bad adab for other reasons, which is that a whole topic in and of itself, but is unfortunate. So this is what the next line says. Aidan woman woman and Yebtedi Khitaba Illa and Yukunokoluhu Jawaba. So we should get our children used to not speaking unless they're spoken to, unless that we know that it's good adab. And so if we come to the dinner table and all of our children are just laughing and playing around and making fun of the food that was just cooked for them or that no. This is something where people should have adab when they come to the dinner table. And we should slowly teach our kids these manners. Is that when you come to the dinner table you come so with adab, you sit up with posture, you don't begin until everybody sits down and everybody should have done their part of the chores to prepare the table and to clean it and to put the napkins and everything else. And so, when everybody sits down, you say the dua collectively, and then the oldest person present begins eating, and then everyone else begins eating. And then you can put into practice the other etiquettes that are supposed to be there at the dinner table. One of them is words. So we know the sunnah of our Prophet is to not speak too little nor speak too much. So it's not the sunnah to remain silent at the dinner table, 
nor is it the sunnah to just speak, 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 speak the whole time. So you intersperse your time at the dinner table with good words and good conversation. It's a time to ask about them, ask about how their day was, and then target specific questions. Um, and the, the more specific the questions and the more targeted the questions are, the better. So oftentimes we just ask general questions. How was your day? Good. How was your school day? Good. And that's it. It kind of stops there. We should ask targeted questions. Tell me something you learned in such and such a class. Um, that, what do you think about such and such an issue? We should ask targeted questions to get a more reasoned response from our children, especially as they get a little bit older. Did you, is there anything specific that you learned today that you wanted to share with us? Um, is there anything that you learned today that you want to that notify us that needs to be worked on or something of that nature? And we should really use this time to inculcate this adab. And um, we all know what it was like to be teenagers. And sometimes we might have become annoyed by our parents when they taught us these things. But you realize later in life how beneficial they were. And you realize how thankful we should have been to our parents for actually teaching us uh, these, these etiquettes. Uh, because they, they become helpful uh, later uh, in life. And so, generally speaking, when younger people are around older people, especially in more formal settings, okay? Now, if it's like grandma and grandpa are hanging out at the house and everyone's lounging, yeah, the kids are coming and going, and that's a very relaxed time. That's different. This doesn't apply necessarily there. It doesn't mean like the child has to sit there and be like, I can't see anything. Grandma or grandpa didn't speak to me yet. No, it has to be more organic than that. If it's a relaxed type setting, of course. You know, the kids are coming and going and this type of thing. And, you know, grandma and grandpa are playing with the kids or whatever you have it. Um, That's perfectly fine. But in a more formal setting. So specifically if you're at the dinner table or if you have guests over. If you have guests over, this is a prime time where we need to teach our children to be. Um, In the lives that we live now, we have guests over and... One child's off in their room, and this child's out doing that, and this child's doing that. There's not a sense that, oh, my parents have guests over. I need to stop what I'm doing and actually see if my mother and father need help. First and foremost, I need to go and greet those guests. The children should come in and send salams to the guests, walk through, shake their hands. If it's a young boy, should shake the hands of the men. If it's a girl, she should greet the women. And then when the girls reach a certain age, um, that uh, depending upon how close the guest is to the family, it um, would depend upon whether it would be appropriate for them to greet the male guests or not, or just to stay with the female guests. But all of these etiquettes are very important. But this is one of the prime times where if we have children with us in the gathering, they should remain silent and sit quietly. And we're going to learn about other things that relate to etiquettes sitting when they're sitting in general, but especially when they're sitting with adults. And again, it doesn't mean that we take this home and we just, you know, beat our kids over the head with it. Little by little, we teach these etiquettes gently. And once we, but the problem is a lot of us neglect them. Or some of us actually think it's cute when little kids just blurt out things in the gathering and stuff like that. And in a traditional society, you know, that would have been seen as something, um, you know, uh, that was, uh, you know, it would mean that the parents weren't teaching their kids adab. And I made the mistake one time of saying to an, an, an Arab man, to adab. And I remember Sheikh Hamza told me he did the same thing one time and I didn't realize what it was that I was saying because I was just meaning have adab, but I didn't realize he interpreted that as like basically you're saying to him like your mother didn't teach you manners, as was later told to me. So we were in Medina Munawara, and 
I mean, it was a violation, remember? We were, that man, and there was this, uh, I think he was Saudi, and he was sitting there, and um, it was late, the breakfast time was late, and they're about to pull up the food. And this poor waiter, I forget where he was from, but he was, uh, he was a worker that was working there, and he was so kind, and he was just trying to be helpful, and he was coming up, he came up to the man, and said to him, uh, if there's any more food that you want from the buffet, uh, please take it now because we're going to... He was just informing people that they were going to lift up the food from the buffet. And the man was so rude to him. He looked at him and said, who do you think you are to talk to me while I'm eating? And like, I couldn't help but over here. Like, we were at this table and I looked, and I looked over there and I was like, I, I couldn't believe I just heard that, Yanni. Just this kibber. You know what I mean? And it's just like, sometimes you have to sh- show, you know, kibber to the mutakibber. And I just felt like I couldn't, like, not say anything. So I looked over, I looked over to him and I said, I said, yeah, Rajul, ta'addab. Anta, in the qubba al-khudra, and you could see the qubba al-khudra, the green dome, like very close to where we were. And I said, ta'addab, anta fil madina munawwa, ta'takallam, tukallam al-shakhs, bihad al-shakhr, yani. And I probably should have chosen another word than adab, but oh, that. Remember, he got mad and got red and started like, you know, getting really angry. But, like, who do you think you are to speak to someone like that? Anyhow, that's a whole other thing. But uh, my point is, the word adab doesn't just mean have adab. There's a lot of implications behind it, and especially in relation to someone learning manners uh, from their family. And um, you can actually tell a lot about someone <coughs> by virtue of the manners. It's one of the most beautiful things that I've witnessed um, are the, the manners in traditional families when you travel in the Muslim world. And it's across the board, from the west to the east. And when you've been around good families that have uh, really, like, incredibly refined character, um, you know, it's, it's really beautiful to see. Uh, and and um, it's something that you know uh, we we do have to bring here in a way that it, that we're able to put it into practice in <coughs> our society. So when we need to teach our children how to be, when we have guests over, uh, when we come to gatherings, when we are attending a speech, when we are in public, and all of these different scenarios where the words of the author here apply. And that relate to not speaking too much and also relating to that if we are younger in age, uh, unless that we are spoken to, it might be better to remain silent unless it means that we are like greeting someone at first and so forth. Um, And so that is uh, what he mentions here. And then he moves on to say, these are also etiquettes that relate to speech. ثُمَّ الْيَمِينَ يَمْنَعُوهُ anha. Um, then forbid him from swearing oaths and all, always forever he should avoid them. So once our children become socialized in the Muslim community, and the problem is they actually might pick this up from their parents where they end up saying, Wallah, Wallah. This is one of the problems of uh, certain people is that they, uh, you know, in one conversation they say, Wallah, like 15, 20 times. And um, it's not necessarily haram. And sometimes even good people do this. Um, so it's not something when we hear people doing that, should we like look down upon them or something like that? At the same time, it's not something we should do ourselves. And we should teach our children as a, st- as, as a foundational standpoint to never swear by Allah even in a serious moment, unless it's the most serious of moments, where we're really questioning them on something, and, you know, like once every five years, and they have to say, Wallahi, I didn't do that. And so then it means something. Because we realize, this is not a child that says, Wallah, Allah. They're swearing an oath to emphasize, and that's a valid time to do it. However, just to just get used to that, Right over something trivial. Wallahi, I didn't eat the potato chips. Like, who cares? Like, not who cares? Like, okay, maybe you should have saved some to share. But you don't swear an oath over potato chips. Right? You don't swear an oath 
whether you know you, you know in that sport that you are playing whether this happened or that happened uh, or that you memorized this statistic or that statistic or something uh, that's very trivial so if we hear our children doing this and there are a lot of children that again they learn this behavior from their parents our kids mix with them at school and in other places they pick it up and they bring it home but you gotta nip it in the bud and even if they do it 5, 10, 15 times, you have to tell them. You have to tell them. Because these etiquettes become firm in them over a long period of time. And this is why one of the greatest forms of ibadah of all is raising children. We should see it as ibadah. It's worship of Allah Ta'ala. Just as being good to your parents in reality is worship of Allah Ta'ala. All of that's mu'amalat. Those are dealings. But indirectly, because... When you approach those dealings, uh, as a, from the standpoint of doing them for the sake of Allah, they become a form of worship of Allah Ta'ala, uh, even though outwardly it's, you're dealing with something. And <clears throat> it's not something that we should get frustrated with, even though it's difficult, because we should figure, we should, we should have the opinion that that time that we spend investing in ta'dib, teaching and inculcating in our children adab, is some of the greatest time of all that we could spend. And many of the things like the small etiquettes of how we eat, which hand we eat with, uh, how to, you know, h- how big our bites should be, whether it be etiquettes to food or dress or whether etiquettes to, These things you have to tell your kids 500 times a year, a thousand times every two years. Like it's just you have to keep doing it. And eventually it will stick. So we prevent them from <clears throat> swearing oaths and that we do so emphatically in the beginning until they learn the balance and then only in the rarest of occasions to really emphasize do we legitimize it for them. And then, وَجُمْلَةَ الْأَشْعَارِ وَالْأَغَانِ يُمْنَعُ مِنْهَا دَائِمَ الزَّمَانِ And from most poetry and singing, he should be prevented for all of time. And our Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ الْغِنَاء And ghina here, um, when you translate it generally as music or singing, I'll clarify, but our Prophet did say ﷺ, إِنَّ الْغِنَاء يُنْبِتُ النِّفَاقِ فِي الْقَلْبِ Is that it, it that leads to hypocrisy in the heart, just as water that causes buckle, which is a type of greenery, a green vegetable to grow. In another narration, as water causes um, that zara, things that are cultivated to grow. And obviously what this hadith is referring to is a specific type of music and a specific type of song and a specific type of singing. This does not relate to all poetry. So you have two words, shi'r, the plural of which is ash'ar, and you have the word ghina, the plural of which is aghani. And you could generally think of it as poetry and song. Okay? And that singing uh, song is anything that is recited with a beautiful melody, whereas poetry is verse. You could recite poetry um, without a melody, or you could recite poetry with a melody. But usually, when you think when you say the word "rina," it refers to reciting it with a melody. And our Prophet said about poetry is that a shi'ru kal kalam. Poetry is like words. Hasanu hasan, wa qabihu qabih. The good of it is good, and literally the ugly of it is ugly, or the bad of it is bad. So it's just like words. Uh, when you speak, you could say something, and saying that thing is an obligation. Like, for instance, testifying that La ilaha illa Muhammadur Rasulullah, sending salawat upon the Prophet Sallallahu at least once in your life, and there's ikhtilaf about that. There's certain things um, when you say it's wajib, it's an obligation to say. And there's other things that are recommended. There's things that are permissible. Then there's things that are disliked, and then there's things that are haram. And so the same thing applies to poetry. So you could just speak about the beautiful trees, or yesterday, oh wow, it's actually snowing right now, subhanAllah, that or you could have spoken about 
the beautiful crystals that were on all the trees yesterday that, you know, because of the freezing rain is that, you know, and describe how that looked and bring about metaphors and all of that. And you could just do it in, just in a sense of appreciating nature. And that's permissible. Now you could also do it in the sense of pointing out the amazing aspect of nature to reflect upon uh, something that takes you to a latata, and then it actually becomes recommended. And this is what we should do. If we're ever taking a vacation, we should never take a vacation just with the intention of vacation. We should always take a vacation and make other intentions behind it. So if you're going to visit family members, yes, you're going to have fun, you're going to eat, and all of that stuff is tahsil hasil. But make the intention to be good to your parents. Make the intention to that maintain family ties. Make the intention to travel through the earth and to reflect upon the beauty of creation and to reflect upon the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the earth. Make the intention to spend time with family. Make the intention to do ibadah, to do worship in parts of the earth that you haven't done so before so that it could testify for you. These are just a few intentions and you can make more. And um, this is actually a good thing to do when you travel with your children. Start the travel by, okay, what's our intentions? Okay, this, that, this, that. And try to extract from family members various intentions um, that can be made. So anyhow, back to words. What our Prophet is saying when he refers to Rina here, song here, is song that is not of a religious nature. And that song that is either disliked or song that is haram and impermissible. And so there's nothing wrong with putting a melody to poetry. The most important thing of all in the topic of music is the lyrics. The most important thing of all is the lyrics. No doubt there are certain melodies, beats, tunes um, that are much more nafs inciting than others. So very soft music is very different than very high tempo music with a lot of bass. Whatever type of genre that that music is without getting into the details. So there's no doubt that certain types of music um, that incite the nafs more than others. But that inciting the nafs isn't necessarily wrong in and of itself. The key really is the lyrics. The key is the lyrics. And especially lyrics that are impermissible and uh, that a lot of music that speaks about their beloved and this and that and so many of the songs, this is, if they were refrained from talking about that, they're one that they like or they love, that there be very little things ever said in music. Uh, we have to really protect our kids from that stuff. Because it will ruin them. That's what our Prophet is saying, Yun nifaq. It will create hypocrisy in them. That's why we have to be very careful. What are our kids watching? What are our kids watching? And there's so many, just it's just trash and garbage music videos out there. That if our if our kids develop a liking for this, we ask Allah to protect us and preserve us. Ya Allah, because previously in the past, truly righteous people did not like to look at the face of a fasiq. And I know that sounds strict and madri'ish and how are we going to coexist in a society where Muslims are a minority and all that marhaban right I'm not being uh, saying by that that you uh, fully implement that in every aspect of your life but protect yourself inwardly and this is what we've learned from our teachers is that the words of Allah Ta'ala let adhillatan adil mu'minin izzatan adil kafirin is that they're humble before the believers and their izza is that they maintain their dignity before the disbelievers. The main meaning that I've heard my teachers say about that is, you don't let the disbelief of a disbeliever or any of their character traits seep into your heart. You're strong. You're, there's, there's izza there. You have honor from what Allah has given you and you don't let it seep into your heart. 
whether it's something that they say, whether it's something that they do, whether it's something that they incline towards, whether it's something that relates to their way, their dress, their speech, or something of that nature. And again, our kids are inundated with this stuff, day in and day out, day in and day out. And music is just pervasive in our society, but we have to try to do our best. And this is why, to me, to think that we can just not have our children ever be exposed to music is unrealistic. Our children will be exposed to music. So it makes so much more sense to me from an early age to encourage our children to sing nasheed, to incline towards beautiful words of poetry, to incline towards reciting things like the Borda with beautiful melodies, to encourage our kids to memorize poems uh, that are recited in beautiful ways, to learn to play the drum and things of that nature. And the drum is very uncontroversial. It's, 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 it's not really an issue in the vast majority uh, of, of opinions of, of the ulama. Yes, some of them limit the drum, for instance, to just uh, a wedding or something like that, but drums are very uh, unproblematic. Uh, some of the other musical instruments, you know, it is what it is. Um, I don't necessarily think it should be something that all members of our community encourage their kids to do. I do have a soft spot for that uh, because um, I, I do think our time is so difficult. I would much rather have someone do that for good than to be drawn into something else. So in some cases, there might be uh, some legitimacy there in encouraging certain people to develop uh, that uh, good habits with certain musical instruments, but uh, I don't want to give a definite encouragement for that, nor say that it's haram in any in every situation. I think we should uh, that there's there's plenty of other things I think we can definitely encourage our kids to do. It's kind of like the foundation, and then we deal with uh, the more controversial in terms of the Sharia uh, musical instruments in a case by case scenario. Um, but the most important thing is the words. And we should really encourage our children to uh, listen to things with good words. And alhamdulillah, there's a lot out there now uh, where they, there's a lot of, uh, of, of good nasheed out there, uh, even in English, that has be- a beautiful message in good words. Much of it also includes music. Uh, this is just my inclination. I don't Everyone, everyone has to follow this in terms uh, there's a difference between playing it or listening to it uh, listening to Nasheed that ha- is more musicy and uses musical instruments as long as uh, the words are good <clears throat> um, uh, I personally don't make uh, a big deal about that in relation to my children but you have to be careful uh, because some of the Nasheed is kind of on the borderline where it almost could be like other types of music that could fall into this category so it's a judgment call, and um, uh, everyone has to look at the state of their own children and kind of deal with it in a very delicate fashion. And I hope that uh, makes a, I hope that makes sense. Okay, so then there's a few other specific etiquettes that also tend to arise when our children are interacting with other people. And he says, "Wal basqa wal mukhata عند الجليس لا عليه يقدم ولعن وصب وشتم الناس والاختلاط بين ذل الناس. So spitting, blowing his nose, or expectorating in the gathering, or when someone enters, and cursing, abusing, or insulting people, mingling with people of filth, lowly people. So this is something <coughs> we should teach our children: is that uh, they should not be people that spit. Sometimes they pick up these habits where they're watching an athlete, or they're watching, they see someone on the street or something, and right? And they get this habit of just spitting. Uh, this is not a good habit to be in. Or the habit of cracking the knuckles. This is a habit, and the parents should reprimand the children for doing this, especially in the presence of other people. This is not a good habit. Um, if someone does have to spit, they either take out a handkerchief or a Kleenex and turn their head to the left and put it in it. If that's not available, the sooner the Prophet said it is to turn the head to the left and to spit 
like that. There could be a, 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 a there could be a time that someone needs to spit out something for some reason, and that's the sunnah to how to do it. And it's makru to spit facing the qibla, um, and the sunnah is to do it on one's left side. Uh, but we definitely shouldn't be a habit, uh, especially if they're playing sports or they're walking outside that they just anytime they want this. Right, that they just spit. That's bad adab. Or mukhat. And this uh, relates to that <clears throat> our nose. And um, if someone has to uh, that blow their nose, then the adab is to turn to the side and to blow their nose. Uh, if they can remove themselves from the gathering, uh, that's probably a little bit better. But it's not something that we do openly in front of people intentionally. It's a natural thing, and sometimes if we're sick, we need to do it quite a few times, but we use adab <clears throat> when we do it. The last one, uh, he translates here as expectorating. Um, I see this more as uh, making a lot of sound when we're clearing our throat. So as I right now am a little bit under the weather and have to clear my throat, uh, that's one thing, but it's another thing to collect Flim here and make noise like a like noise and then spit out. Uh, we should uh, the teacher of children. This is not something that should be done in public uh, around other people. So it's kind of an extension of the other comment on spitting, unless that we're in a place. For instance, you're making wudu or something of that nature. If you have to clean yourself, you have to clean your throat. And even then, if we can do it without making noise, <coughs> it's better. Um, but sometimes these are just bodily functions that have to be rid of the body, the quieter that we can be, <clears throat> and the less public that we can be with those things, the better. Okay? So he mentions it here specifically when being around people. And then finally, other things that relate to things that we say. Um, we should be very serious, we should take it very seriously. When one of our children um, that curses something, and um, in different ways of saying it, so uh, it, it's not really too used in in English nowadays. Uh, where, uh, but uh, a way of saying that in English would be like saying something like, and I'm saying this for the purpose of teaching us, like, "God damn it!" Right? You want to be very careful of that, and for. Those of us that came from a Christian background, we, like, even when I just say that right now, I feel like, oh, that's something that shouldn't be said, because that's how I was raised. You don't use the name of God in vain. <clears throat> and that's a good thing, not to use God's name like that. Um, you know, so a curse technically is, is saying someone like, Latinatullah alayk in Arabic, or something like that, where there's some type of curse. And closely related to that, I remember in Mauritania, they used to say things uh, to the young children. I used to hear that at first. I was like, my God, what are you saying? Like, what if Allah answered that? If a child bothered him, they'd say, Kasr umrak. Right? Umrak is your life. Kasr literally is to break into pieces. Like, basically, that may Allah break your life and, like, take your life is, like, essentially what they're saying. I heard that. I was like, la hawla wa to billah. That's not really, an, you know, what if Allah answers that? Right? Or... Because once you curse something, khalas, what if it becomes cursed? Right. So, in this goes for parents saying things to your children. And we've mentioned this before, but it's so that we, we can become aware. There's one mother who came to complain about their children, and the sheikh asked her, Did, have you made dua against your child? And she said, there was times, unfortunately, yes. He said, you're the one who ruined him. You're the one who ruined him. We should never We should always remember that. Sometimes you say certain things and they happen because you say them. We should never say, like, never make dua against your children. Obviously, that should be clear. Never be on the verge of saying, like, you know, God damn you or something like that. Like any type of curse of any way, it could really harm the child uh, in, in, in the long term. Or anything that comes even close to that, right? Where we just, you know, take things out on them in a certain way, and that, or say things to them like, "There's no hope in you, right? You're never going to be successful," 
or right you know you're you know all, anything like that what if Allah answered that like a dua in that moment it's a problem it's a problem it really is a problem we got to be careful about what we say we got to control ourselves and yes sometimes we get angry at our children of course but in those moments we got to control ourselves and especially this just don't say it right because once it's said you can't take it back and there's one of the arifin billah he made dua against someone one time and he said that he saw it it left his tongue and he realized he couldn't get it back and it happened to the person the dua that he said and you know it's not the way that we are as people as muslims we should be people who bring about rahma and mercy for people um, so we got to be careful about the things that we say and I mentioned a few examples or anything that comes close to that. And then, was sub. This also, incuse, this also includes um, reviling, insulting, um, that anything of this nature, uh, in shetam and nas. So sub and shetam, uh, which is like, so la'an <clears throat> is cursing, so cursing, criticizing, reviling, insulting, Anything of this nature. So if we see our kids insulting each other and making fun of each other, you stop it right off the bat. You come down hard on them in that moment. You let them know you can't do that. And excessively joking with another child. Because sometimes for the other children, it's not a joke. And this is one of the main ways kids are bullied in school. Is it seems like it's funny and everybody's laughing and they're making fun of the way they look or how tall they are or how short they are or this or that or madresh or something about them. Um, and it kills them inside and really hurts them. So these types of things, we have to put an into it. These things are unacceptable in the household. And if there's severe consequences for anything, there should be severe consequences for this. Things of this nature. Because these things simply should not be in any human being let alone a Muslim, let alone a respectable Muslim who's uh, trying to uh, <clears throat> draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These things should not be in our home. And then, <clears throat> he says here, وَالِخْتِلَاتُ بَيْنَ ذِي الْأَدْنَاسِ And um, uh, that this is that we have to be... He spoke already about our... Uh, our children in, in their companionship, um, and that really Dennis is that filth, and Adnas is the plural of Dennis. And um, here it means anyone that does things that are disgraceful openly, okay? And um, that uh, shame properly understood, uh, and it's a difficult word because there's so much, so many misunderstandings around the word shame uh, nowadays. Uh, but maybe we should use the word modesty just to change the frame. Modesty is a good thing. Um, kids being embarrassed to do certain things in public is a good thing. And you harness that and eventually channel it so that they're like that before Allah, which is more important. And we do have to be a little bit careful as parents where we use the shame card with our kids, especially in this society, where we say that, oh, you're going to embarrass the family, or you're going to do this, or you're going to do that. Because even though that might be true, and even though that was deemed to be a very important thing traditionally, in our time, I would be careful using that. Because it could, in our time, if we're not careful, create hypocrisy in the kids. Whereas nowadays, I think it has to be more of I'm not worried about what other people think of the family. This is about you before Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we should, it's, in a traditional society, it might have worked more because people didn't have anywhere to go. The society, for the most part, was like that. But nowadays, we have so many things that our kids are being called to. If you play that, if you use that, um, it could actually uh, harm the child. Uh, in, in a negative way and to create hypocrisy such that they do all of those things secretly without you even knowing uh, and hide them from you which is even more serious than them doing it openly and 
having somewhat of a bad reputation in the community as a result of it. Now, preserving your reputation, your honor, is a good thing. Reputation is important. Um, however, we can't go overboard with that, where because of some difficulty, we're imbalanced in terms of our response to that. And um, so anything that goes to, the, to a, 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 an extreme in that regard, like honor killings and things of this nature, are so haram and sharia, yani, we don't even need, it's obvious. Those things are just complete, that, uh, that egregious violations. And people that do that, ya latif, uh, ya latif. How could you return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having done something like that? And then there's things that are approaching that. Uh, and we don't even want to go near there. And yes, we encourage to our children to carry themselves with dignity in public. We encourage them to preserve their own honor and to preserve the honor of the family. That's a good thing, but in a balanced fashion. And so inshallah ta'ala we will uh, stop there. Uh, we'll probably just take a couple quick questions if there are any so that we can... Um, uh, so... Uh, just very quickly, we, we, for those following in the green book, uh, what we took was basically from page 85 uh, all the way to um, page 92. So I highly encourage you to read uh, pages 85 to 92 in the Educating Children book uh, for uh, more benefits and um, uh, reinforcing what it is that we've also said. So, are there any uh, any questions about what we've spoken about? I think it's pretty straightforward. Uh huh. 